0: Hey y'all, this is a preview to the latest premium subscriber only episode to Champagne Sharks. So what you're hearing is a small clip of a longer episode that is available over on Patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks, and it's available to premium subscribers who pay $5 a month. And if you want to hear the rest of the episode, go over to Patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks and subscribe for only $5 a month. You get not only access to this episode in its entirety, but to the whole backlog of premium episodes, which at this point is over a hundred episodes at this point. So it's a great deal. So without further ado, here is the preview and I hope we see you on the other side at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks where you can hear the rest. One thing I find interesting about uh Chapo, right, is when I listened to Champo, I just I just like learning about the politics and like the leftism and stuff. But one of the things I found interesting was like I'm like it's such a weird thing to be a fan of media and a fan of New York and DC media particularly. And when I listened to Champo, I was like, when you actually like think about it, it's like it's a really weird and interesting thing to be a fan of. But you guys have made it like less weird to the point where I think you guys have gone from catering to like a small niche. Like I had to look up stuff a lot to find out who you guys were talking about. And what this person's history was that you know, like I didn't know Ezra Klein was a blogger. He was a blogger, right? Oh yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Him and Iglesias were like the ur bloggers. They were they invented they they. And I read I read both of them. Oh god, Panda. Yeah, Panda I didn't know that, blog, I didn't know that I they were that that shit, And I read Iglesias's
2: blog too. God I never damn understood it. how it is that Iglesias ended up becoming like Mister Economics. That wasn't that
0: wasn't his. He's, uh, been, like, he's
1: had like seven fucking specialties in his career. He's such see, a see, fraud. See, this
0: conversation you guys are having is exactly what i'm talking about like like to me they came fully formed in the twitter era as establishment uh writers so like what you're talking about is fascinating
2: no i started following iglesias back before he was even like with the atlantic like he was just like blogging about pretty much anything and everything and i think he kind of found the niche and people accept as expertise. but I think it's becoming apparent, like especially over the last couple of years, that the guy's just a fucking idiot. Now, his, like, his, this-
1: he, coming out of the gate his be, during the Bush years when which was a rare presidency defined for most of its term by foreign policy, uh, he was uh, he was going to be the democratic foreign policy guy and he wrote a book. Thin little piece of shit called head of the sand how democrats can win on foreign policy and it's about how be, we're gonna be a muscular hegemon but not do bad wars classic obama shit and then oh i never read it but i just saw i i i, I know i know the, the basic gist uh and then he because i read his awful blog and it's obvious and shit like that he just compiles his most facile blog arguments together into a book uh and then he was for Slate, he was a money guy. He was the macro guy. He was the guy who could tell you everything you needed to know about quantitative easing and Fed policy and shit like that. And then uh, he switched and just became like a business guy. Oh, and then he became a uh, a smart growth urbanist dude and wrote a book about uh, about reducing housing costs called The Rentist Dude Am I. Uh, there was like a Yimby manifesto about like developing and allowing for maximal buildings of... Uh, of new development in order to to bring down housing prices even though that never works and it just gets more expensive because it's a it's the only safe investment in the world at least it was and so it was the sink for basically all the money in the world that anybody wanted to hide anywhere so every new tower you put up is just immediately going to get a bought up as as uh, an investment for some oligarch or global ketamine
0: dealer um, you know who else too? um, Megan McArdle is someone that, uh, but Megan McArdle actually knew she was a blogger, but like actually, uh, ta coach was a blogger too, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. For the Atlantic. Yeah. But I think he might've even had like, his own personal blog before the Atlantic. I think the Atlantic picked him up.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I think he was beforehand, too. I don't remember that. I I saw him. I, I think I may vaguely remember him from before he was at the Atlantic.
0: Yeah, so I think, like, uh, blogging was kind of the minors where they started, like, drafting people for the big leagues. And I didn't know that until I listened to um, uh, Chapo. And so I started seeing everybody's, like, like, so to say, origin story. And what I kind of liken it to, and I want to know what your thoughts about this are, is, like, things like superhero movies or Marvel movies went from making these movies to cater to like a handful fans of a cottage industry to actually creating like i think marvel movies have created more fans than they've actually um originally started like like catering to like i think now it's like they're billion dollar movies and everybody has a passing understanding of who the avengers are and who's on it and what captain america's uh secret identity is and i think to a degree uh Chapo has done that. Like, you guys were, for guys like you two, were people who kind of were in, like, the blog trenches and know who all these media and New York and DC personalities are. And that was kind of a diehard, slightly obscure hobby, the way comic book fandom is. And now you guys have made, like, a very mainstream hobby. I I feel like the kind of person who, you know, discovered, like, superhero comics, like, after the Avengers hit. You know, like... Yeah, um, I got
1: the new issue of Doubt It. (laughs) No, actually, you know, I hadn't thought of that before. Before uh, you, before you brought it up, but I, I, you're right, and it's actually very depressing now that I think about it. That oh, that yeah, I, I gave I people. Do that. I gave people the idea that that's a good use of time to think about these nitwits. Uh, oh boy, <laughs> now now I'm having now I'm having another crisis. Thanks. Oh boy. Oh
0: man, I I, I, I to please. But you're 100 right.
1: We have done that. Oh geez, I just hope.
0: Oh, I hope the damage hasn't been too severe. Yeah, when I heard your guys' podcast, like I enjoyed it and I thought it was very funny. But I'm like, there's only 300 people on earth this is going to appeal to because it's so inside baseball. But it didn't occur to me the same way like with comic book movies you can create if you make it look uh fun enough you can actually create your own uh base and now i think now not only do you guys like have a huge fan base that you know i think to a degree like you've you've created this you spread this like uh formerly niche thing into a, a mainstream thing to be interested in like so many people know the ins and outs of all these uh media people now i i i think, like not only have you uh created it but it's like it's you have people rushing into the space now. Now there's so many people. It, it went from something that I thought this this can't even have enough of an audience to support one podcast. to something where there's an actual podcast uh, universe. Yes,
1: yes. There's an extended universe of pundits. Oh man! I, now I'm imagining a series of films based on these people. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought. Oh boy! Now I'm getting sick. Oh man! I'm feeling okay, I'm nauseous. Sorry.
2: No, I mean, th- if there's any social good that comes out of that, it's uh, may- it's if there's one one thing that I can point to uh, that a, a good has come out of this, it's being able to look some of these people in their dead-eyed fucking faces and just tell them they don't know anything. Like, it, you, like up until. Uh, I would say 2016, it was was pretty, it was pretty solid, like lock uh, until 2016 of the pundit class on the court of popular opinion. So even, even uh, Matt Iglesias would just be able to make these pronouncements and people would just swallow it. They would just accept it. You know, Megan McArdle would say things and you'd just be pissed off at what she said, but really what was there to counteract what she said? And now I think, I think, I mean, granted you might have an argument for whether the coarsening of the discourse is a good thing or not, but people are now willing to just say, shut the fuck up to a megan McArdle or or just you know what I mean? Like or, or when like when uh, uh Ezra Klein has just some some dumbass shitty take or uh you know uh, Pod Save John has some like uh, you know some some sort of sort of like pronouncement that tries to get to like the uh, the goodness at the core of America that's been wallpapered over by the age of Trump just to say, dude, shut up! Like that's that's
0: now a thing. I totally agree. I totally agree. I th- I, I think it is bigger good than it than it is uh, negative negative for sure. Like I think it's probably the the one good thing about the democratization of um, opinion and feedback is that. A lot of times the right target gets hit, you know, even though there are a lot of things I don't like where this constant need to score points all the time and people's replies and all that stuff. I I do think there is a good that comes out of it. You know what I'd like to do for the rest of the time here? I don't know how much of this stuff we'll get through, but I just want to bring up random topics that when I was listening to your vlog, because I don't have a lot of the context for this stuff that... I just didn't know what you were talking about, or I want you to expand on. You know, uh, so um, one thing is now I didn't read this either, so I I don't know if Andre read it. But he talked about the sixteen nineteen project, and and I was curious because because you, you brought that up in passing, and uh, one thing, and you were saying if it if it's meant to say this, it's one thing, but if it's meant to say another, it's something else but i couldn't quite parse what. well it's it's
1: difficult for me because people wanted my opinion on it especially after the whole hannah jones thing with the biden uh you ain't black moment uh and the thing is i didn't read it so i feel kind of unqualified to talk about it but i know what people were how people were responding to it and i saw how what people were arguing about i and i just wanted to say i i as far as I know, if, if its pitch is is that is that American capitalism grew out of racism rather than vice versa, then I think that that is not only factually and historically wrong, it's also a bad lesson to take into the, the, your contemporary politics because it will make it harder for you to uh, uh, deal with the legacy of that uh, racial capitalism that we have in this country. Uh, but again, that's dependent on what's actually in the thing. I mean, from seeing the uh, the behavior and the statements of people, who have worked on it? It certainly seems that's what they're trying to say. But uh, uh, again, I don't know for sure,
2: and that's that's just when people ask. That was my response to it. Personally, I did not like I, I, uh, Nicole Hannah Jones. Uh, one of her uh, issues is that she doesn't have a very good class analysis, but that's fine because for the purposes of the project, that that works. Like if you can uh, if you can shunt. Um, all of the criticisms about the negative aspects of America onto racism, and then you structure racism as some sort of primordial force that just, you know, comes out of nowhere. Like it's, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a force of nature and you can't do anything about it. Then You'll always have to deal with it. You can, you never really have to address class issues. Like you'll never have to address material issues. But I think one of the problems that the left runs into, like, and it's primarily white people on the left, because like there's plenty of black socialists that come from a different tradition that have this shit down pat. Like they've they've been uh, clear on this for a very long time since the early 1900s. And that is that capitalism itself is a function of racism, and racism is a function of capitalism. The two reproduce one another. So if you like go back to the origin of the uh, of the transatlantic slave trade and this is something that people want to act like it just arrived spontaneously out of nowhere like there was just ships that like arrived into the sea that went into west africa and people were just being loaded on and who knows how this whole thing developed actually no if you it, you know you go back to you know it was like four, i think it was 1441 uh was nuno Twiston's voyage to the argonian islands to bring back the first uh, set of west african captives you know the uh, the the spawn of uh, the urbanization and marketization um, of of the global economy that happens in you know the mid twelfth century uh, the, that that you have the the birth of market commerce you have in the uh, the the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries you know the birth of uh, race science and the idea of of there being separate races that are like distinct from one another in their features in order to uh, to justify slavery so that's that's not really explored very well in the sixteen nineteen project and I think what Jones does in in one in, uh the uh, uh the introductory essay that i absolutely hated was saying that like america you know would never was not cracked all cracked up to be like it promised something and then it just didn't deliver on that so it says i founding ideals of liberty and equality were false when they were written black Americans fought to make them true without the struggle america would have no democracy at all and it's like that's nice it it sounds good on paper but is that actually true and the answer is no there was a a mercantile economy that depended on the uh the the use of slave labor uh there was a birth of capitalism that was highly dependent on that slave labor you can't really separate race and class issues they're kind of intertwined to the point where race is itself an indicator for class and that's never really explored in the 1619 essay and I think that's one of the issues that I have with um white people on the left is that that analysis is not arrived at because the history of the black radical and socialist tradition is not very well known people aren't Reading people like Cedric Robinson. They're not reading, uh, uh, you know, uh, they're not reading Kwame Touré. They're not reading Claudia Jones. They're not reading people that have gotten really into the dirt on this and have provided answers. Even like I said, Kamala Harris's father got into the dirt and provided some very good answers, but people just don't know who they are and don't engage with them.
1: Yeah, I mean nobody reads anything is a problem. Everyone <laughs>
2: responds to everyone responds to other people's
1: arguments online, and it is this horrifying madhouse Socratic dialogue between people, all of whom are just for the most part making it up as they're typing it. The the number of like deeply politically uh, of, of incendiary tweets that become very that become centers of discourse are not thought about for longer than it took to write them. And if that's the case, all of the subsequent discussion is going to be as shallow and reactive because you're not even responding to a considered
0: thought. Um, do you know one thing that I uh, you said, and I might not understand this, but with the 1619, uh, one thing you said, um, I think you were saying something along the lines of that racism arose is like something of the mind, but it came out of like material things. I think you were trying to say something along the lines of that um, racism kind of came about because of um, capitalism, so that and I could be getting it wrong because you used um, some more Marxist language. Like, I, I'm not really good at knowing what the word materialism really means. But I think you kind of try and say, like, you kind of need to undo the things that caused um, racism to make it. Uh... And like the one thing I kind of struggle with with that is that I feel like that there is a truth to that. I think there's a truth that racism came about because of all these things. The one thing that I just don't really buy, and I know a lot left to say, is I don't believe even if that's why it started, that taking it away is going to make it go away. Because I think it's become like a custom or a ritual. And- I
1: don't think anyone would claim, and I don't think anyone that I would take seriously would claim that it would go away. Uh, I think the argument is that the only way to address it significantly is by attacking the material conditions. And I think one of the main reasons for that is just if you, uh, the question of all right, we have we have racism in this in the culture. There's no question. It is fused at this point to the land in the form of the literal, uh, the, the geography of our urban areas uh, uh, and the leg- legacies of wealth accumulation and and, uh, and uh, disparities in, you know, violence and, and life expectancy. These are all written upon, you know, the, the everyone in America uh, and, and endured uh, disproportionately uh, by black people. So that is an issue. That's a real problem that must be addressed. Addressing it to the question, the question is, how do you address it at the level of racism as a social phenomenon? What lever can you push? And the only answer I've seen offered is one of culture, of reaffirming anti racism insisting the culture reaffirm anti-racist. And that has happened, and the, the, the anti-racist current in popular culture has gotten much more significantly uh, emphatic over the last 30 years, but the actual conditions of black people in this country have not gotten any better and, in fact, have gotten worse. It's actually, yeah. And so that means that there is no way to fix things by attacking things at the level of race as a social phenomenon. It has to be the concrete uh, um, markers of racism that have to be changed. That won't end the, the superstructural response, that won't change uh, hardened racial uh, beliefs, but it will change the degree to which they can impact the lives of people who suffer under them. And over time, that change in relationship will further reduce over time and create instead of what we have now, which is a negative cycle of uh, of violence, recrimination, and uh, and mutual distrust that reifies uh, uh, opposes a, along a racial dynamic. While meanwhile, while while the vast majority of people uh, of of all races are further immiserated, uh we we could have something where a, a positive virtue cycle where reductions in inequality reductions in, in material injustice reduce uh resentment reduce distrust reduce that 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 racial chasm uh and then lead to further uh uh re- 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 leads to further reductions in material uh, injustice. I think that's something that could happen. I think the evidence is pretty clear that the alternative uh, strategy doesn't get any results, at least none that are worth all of the effort.
0: All right, so that was a preview. If you like what you hear and you want to hear the rest of the episode and 100 more episodes, then by all means, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Take care, y'all.